Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you for the second last time this year at Luke's Gospel. We're almost there, almost there. Please do have your Bible open to Luke chapter 23, verse 50. We're going to read again from verse 50 through to 24, 12. Think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the opportunity to spend a year in Luke's Gospel. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, his excellence in so many ways. We pray as we reflect now on this story that you will assure us of the truth, of the risen, risenness of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. I started serving here at Chatswood. Uh, I just found my old contract on uh, January the 15th, 1999. Most of you weren't even born then, were you? Um, <laughs> January 15th, 1999. Uh, After I'd worked here for about 18 months, members of the congregation um, signed a a, a document, all signed their names, to call me to be the minister here. Uh, Around about 80 people signed their names. Let let, let me read you some of the names. You probably won't know most of them, but let me read them to you anyway. Gwen Gill, Jeanette Crabb, Peg Campbell, Ian McKenzie, Helen Wilson, Grace Yates, Flora Moore, Jean Briggs, Anna Steele, Jean Stipwich, Dot Morris, Claude Angeli. Jean Angeli, Barry Breeze, Betty Ford, Alice Tiabji, Jane Whitaker, Madge Gibson, Molly Neal, Jean Cook, Beryl Nickel, Arthur Grace, Billy Grace, Tom Bowen, Val Bowen, Dot Fisher, Nancy Hatch, Don McMillan, Miriam McMillan, Mel Jingle, Jean McInnes, Morris Haythorne, Dar- uh, David Yates, Wynne Sims, Edna Matheson, Laurie Cree, Helen Thorpe, Reg Faulkner, Marge Carter, Jack Thorpe, John Thorpe signed it, John Scott and Fiona Perry. Uh, Friends, all of the people on the list of names I just read have two things in common. Uh, First, they were members of our church. They were part of our church. They spent their time and their money and their energy serving here. They didn't sit in these seats. They sat in the seats over in the building over there. uh, And they signed my call. Uh, Just like you, they were members of this church sitting almost in these seats. Uh, But the second thing they have in common, they've all now died. Every single one of them. In fact, well over half the people who signed my call are now dead. Statistically, it's one of the most dangerous things you could ever have done, I think. Um, uh, Only a couple of people left coming to church who signed my call here this morning. There'd be Alma and Lynn and John and Carmelina, uh, Aileen. That's about it. Sorry, I've forgotten anyone else. Uh, Anyone else signed my call that I've forgotten? So, in fact, only about half a dozen people in total who are still part of our church. It's only been 24 years. 24 short years, and the majority of people who were here at church then are now dead. Uh, The average age of our church is a fair bit younger now than it was then, so hopefully it's going to take more than 24 years. But, friends, it won't be much longer. Uh, Soon you'll be dead. Happy Happy Sunday. <laughs> Soon you'll be dead. Soon everyone sitting here is going to be dead. Now, I hope we're not wasting our short amount of time on earth by being here. I hope we're not kidding ourselves about Jesus and life beyond the grave. I hope we're not wrong thinking that there's some meaning greater than just existing for a few years and then being dead. I hope that all the time and the money and the energy that we're investing into 
into being a church and into being Christians, into our Christian lives. I hope that that's not just all thrown away. Because if death is where it ends, that's actually the situation, isn't it? All this stuff we do, all our singing and praying to nobody and looking at the Bible, it's all a useless waste of time if death is the end. Well, as we come into Luke chapter 23 and verse 50 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 50 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is dead. And verse 46, verse 46, chapter 23, verse 46, he had breathed his last. But according to Luke, the story of Jesus continues. Luke introduces us to a man named Joseph. He's a Jewish religious leader, but he didn't go along with his contemporaries with all their arrest and, uh, and the trial and execution of Jesus. He opposed them. He was unsuccessful, of course, but killed Jesus. But now Joseph takes action to show, to show respect to Jesus' body. He goes to the governor, Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pilate allows him to take Jesus' body and he wraps it in linen and puts it into an empty rock tomb. Now, the tomb probably looks something like this. I was surprised when I saw this picture, which is why I've showed it to you. I've always thought of sort of a big cave. Okay, it's actually quite small. It's about the size of a sauna. Um, uh, maybe a small mausoleum. It reminds me a little bit of the mausoleum that Carmelina's family have. Um, there it is. It's actually quite small. There's a little place for me in there. Uh, I have to tell you, if you, go, if you walk in the door, <laughs> if you walk in the door, we've got four of them. And my father-in-law's in there, and there's a spot waiting for me. Not sure how it'll go if they put a Presbyterian minister in the Catholic, Catholic mausoleum. I suspect everyone will stand up and walk out in disgust. Um, so, anyway, anyway, Jesus is buried. Uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 23 and verse 50, the burial of Jesus. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Now Luke then tells us an important fact. The Sabbath was approaching, so it's Friday night. Uh, Jews rested on the Sabbath. They couldn't do things like prepare a body. And so Jesus' body would just lie there untouched for Friday night, all day Saturday, and Saturday night. Verse 54, it was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. It begins at sunset on the Friday. So it's the Sabbath, and so the women who follow Jesus, they check carefully to see where the tomb is, but then they go home and prepare some spices and perfumes for the body. Spice, spices and perfumes. We used to think about putting a body into a cave or a mausoleum. They stink after a while. You have to deal with the smell of decay. Uh, today we do that by embalming the body. Uh, embalming, by the way, if you're interested, means this. Uh, the blood is removed from the body and replaced with formaldehyde-based chemicals. The organs are then punctured and drained of gas and fluid contents and formaldehyde-based chemicals are injected. 
That's what they want to do to me, putting me into this mausoleum. Goodness me, yet another reason why I do not want to go in there. <laughs> anyway, back then the Jews didn't embalm to stop the, the, the decay. Instead, they masked the smell with spices and perfumes. Uh, back in those days, they used spices like myrrh. I don't know if anybody knows a lot about myrrh, but we've got a picture of some myrrh there. Um, they also used uh, aloe as well, which we still use, don't we? Aloe is the one on the right. Use that for sunburn and so on, don't you? Uh, so they used it back in those days. So the women prepared spices and perfumes, and then they rested. Verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So everyone takes a break on the Friday night and the Saturday, and then finally Sunday morning comes. As soon as it's, uh, as soon as it's light, the, the women uh, take their spices to Jesus' tomb, but as they approach the grave, they come across a couple, a couple of strange things. Now, there's something that they do see, that is, they do see the stone rolled away, but there's also something they don't see. They don't see a body in the tomb. They can't find Jesus' body. Chapter 24 and verse 1. Verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, they got no idea what's going on. As they're wondering uh, what to do about this, a couple of strange-looking men approach them. Later we're going to find out. Next week we'll find out they're angels. Now, these angels, they, they tell the women, Jesus has risen from the dead just like he's told you over and over and over again. And we've seen that in Luke's Gospel, haven't we? Ever since was it chapter 9, verse 51, was when the journey to Jerusalem started. Even before then, after they worked out Jesus was the Messiah, he's told them over and over again, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, but then on the third day I will rise again. He said it over and over and over again, and the angels say, he said it to you over and over again, and then finally something clicks. For them, they remember what he said. Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hand of, hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The women race off to talk to the other disciples. They say, they tell them what they found. Nobody, an empty tomb. They tell them what the angels told them. They remind them, Jesus said it over and over again. He'll rise again from the dead. And the disciples... Go, you silly women. You haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. They know as well as you and me. Dead people don't get better. These silly girls are obviously confused. Dead people do not rise again. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene. Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women 
because their words seem to them like nonsense. No one believes the story. Uh, but Peter decides to go and check out what's happening, go and check the tomb out. He finds, uh, he goes to the tomb, he finds the grave clothes. So it's definitely the right tomb, but there's no body. And that's strange. Why would anyone steal the body but leave the grave clothes? If anything, you'd steal the linen, it's got a bit of value, and leave the body if you're a grave robber. And so Peter walks away feeling confused. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. All right, that's as far as we're going today. Sorry to leave you in suspense. Uh, feel free to read ahead during the week if you can't bear it anymore. Uh, but, but can you see what's here in these verses? Uh, first, the story of Jesus' burial. Joseph takes his body, puts it in a tomb. The women see the tomb, head home to prepare spices, and the body lies there dead two nights and a day. Second scene, early Sunday morning. The women go to the tomb. The covering stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body is gone. Two angels explain to them what's happened. Jesus is not dead anymore. He is living. He's risen from the dead, just like he told you. They race off, tell the other disciples. The disciples don't believe them. But Peter goes to the tomb, sees the grave clothes there with no body in them, and he goes away wondering what's going on. Okay. Let's think about what this passage means for us. First thing to say is this. Jesus was really dead. He didn't have a near-death experience. He wasn't in some kind of coma. He wasn't just swooning. He, he was dead. His dead body was taken down from the cross. His dead body was placed in a tomb and left there dead for two nights and a day. Our friends, that's important because you can't have a resurrection without being dead. But it's also very important for us because Jesus didn't nearly die for our sins. Jesus didn't almost die for our sins. Jesus didn't have a near-death experience for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. Our sins deserve death. And Jesus paid the price. second thing to say is this, Jesus really, actually rose again from the dead. It's not just that his spirit lived on, it's not just that he lived on in the hearts of his disciples. There are all kinds of so-called scholars who say that the, say that the resurrection is a, is a metaphor, they try to demythologize, they, they talk about it, they say it's a, a metaphor for, uh, and here I'm quoting I think Barbara Thiering, it's a, it's a metaphor for how the experience of Jesus lived on in the hearts of the disciples. I don't reckon that's any comfort. I, I like the way Woody Allen put it in an interview for Rolling Stone magazine. Allen said this, someone once asked me if my dream was to live on in the hearts of people and I said I'd prefer to live on in my apartment. <laughs> Friends, there's no more important fact in the universe than the fact of Jesus' resurrection. If death was the end for Jesus, that, makes, that renders our Christian faith useless. It means Jesus has failed. 
the Apostle Paul put this so clearly in his first letter to the Corinthians. Here I've got uh, the quote from 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we, that is the apostles, are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but if he did not, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You know that word futile? It doesn't, can't do anything. It doesn't achieve anything. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, he means died, those who have died in Christ, died trusting Jesus, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Wasted our time sitting here singing songs to nobody and praying to nothing. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Christianity is a waste of time. We're, 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 we're worshipping a dead Jew who hasn't dealt with our sins and hasn't conquered sin and death, and all our hope is in vain. Wasting our time being here. If Jesus didn't physically, bodily rise from the dead, Christianity is nothing but a wicked lie. Uh, but friends, as we've seen today, and as we will see again next week, Jesus did rise from the dead. He was dead, he was buried, his dead body lay in the tomb for two nights and a day, but then the tomb was empty. And the angels announced the eternity-changing news. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He didn't just live on in the hearts of his disciples. His tomb was empty. His body was resurrected. The dead man was alive again. Friends, that means death is not the end. It means Jesus is who he claimed to be. It means he has died for our sins. It means he is the king in God's kingdom. It means he will finally return to judge this world. And it means he can and he will bring you through death and into eternal life. That's good news, isn't it? And the third and final thing I want to show you from this passage is this. This is a true story. This is not a metaphor. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some kind of trick. This is a true story. And if you look at this story, you'll see it. There's no way this is intended as a fairy tale or a metaphor. Let me just show you a couple of things about the story. Firstly, did you notice Luke specifically names all these people involved? Joseph from Arimathea. Mary Magdalene. Joanna. Mary, the mother of James, Peter. Why does he name all these names? These are real people. And as Luke wrote, some of them would still be, have been alive. If you'd been around to read Luke's letter, if you were Theophilus, you, 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 could have, you could have gone and asked these people, is this true, what Luke says? And they'd have gone, yeah, I was there. In fact, do you remember way back at the very beginning of Luke's gospel? This is what Luke did. He went around and quizzed the eyewitnesses. And here he's written down their names for you. Or notice this. Notice this about the way the story is told. You might not, sorry if this is a bit upsetting to modern people, but notice, it's the women who discover the empty tomb. It's the women who hear the message from the angels. 
Now, that might not seem like anything to us, but in that context, in that culture, that's a very unusual way to tell the story. In those days, women couldn't even testify in court. They were considered to be untrustworthy. Author Stephanie Judd puts it this way. In the world of first century Palestine, a woman's testimony was not recognised as legally binding. Frankly, it was an embarrassment for our first century brothers and sisters that the resurrection account is pinned on the testimony of women. It's not something that you, that you would write into the story unless, of course, it's actually true and you're more concerned with the truth than avoiding embarrassment. So only one way the story would have been told this way if it happened this way. And then you look at the apostles and the disciples and they come out looking like fools. If this was some kind of con, if this was some kind of way to trick you into giving all your money to the apostles or something like that, you would make them look as good as possible, wouldn't you? You'd make them look like heroes. But the way that Luke tells the story, the disciples are so flawed. Jesus has told them over and over and over again, I'm going to rise from the dead. And yet when it happens, they are slow-witted and dull they are certainly not expecting Jesus to rise again. They're not the heroes of the story. You just wouldn't tell the story this way if it weren't true. Commentator Daryl Bock puts this well. He says this, Luke is clear that the disciples were not waiting for the resurrection. It comes to disciples who are disillusioned and it produces a major reversal of emotion transforming despair into hope and action. The description of them may not be flattering, but it is honest and real. The church would not have created an account about the resurrection that portrayed its leading figures this way. And I love these words, the account rings true. He's right, isn't he? This rings true. And, and if you look at the history of what happened after this, the disciples did not use this story to bring themselves fame or fortune. They, they didn't use the story to exploit people. In fact, they all went on to suffer for telling this story, story that the Jewish authorities opposed them, the Roman authorities opposed them. Many of them were even murdered. And yet, not one of them recanted. Not one of them said, sorry, we actually made the story up. No, 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 all the way to death. All of these eyewitnesses just kept on saying, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, Luke's telling the truth. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried two nights and a day. But then on the third day, the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive again. It's the truth. But that's good news, isn't it? It means death isn't the end. It means if you're relying on Jesus, you look forward to being with him, forgiven and pardoned on Judgment Day, resurrected and transformed with Jesus in a new heaven and earth forever. And it means you're not wasting your time being here. You're not wasting your time singing to Jesus and praying to God through Jesus and serving Jesus and you're not wasting your time because he's alive. Uh, 2022 has been, um, been a hard year, but a year of great loss. I think, I, I think 
probably most of us don't realize the significance of the loss, losses that we've had at Chatswood Presbyterian Church this year in losing uh, Peg Campbell and Helen Thorpe and Eric Francis and Laura Yates and Barry Breeze. Uh, but with each of these people, there was a genuine faith in Jesus. With each of these people at their funeral, I was able to confidently declare that they were in Christ, relying on him. And so, friends, their end is not to have their names inscribed on my call. No, no, their end is to have their names written in heaven. Their end is to have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And do you know what? At the last day, when everyone stands before God, everyone is going to agree that they made the right call. All the time they spent studying God's Word, all the time they spent worshipping and serving Jesus, all the time they spent cleaning and gardening, and it was all more than worth it because they served and worshipped the living Lord Jesus. It's the same for you and me. Serving the living Jesus is eternally worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you are real and you really sent Jesus to live and die and rise again from the dead for us. Thank you so much that he has paid the full price for our sins and that he's now alive and at your right hand we thank you that the day is coming when he will return to judge the living and the dead and when those of us who trust in Jesus look forward to being transformed and with you forever in a new heaven and earth. Thank you for this wonderful hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.